on your part. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm Jay Tears, your host. We're on like episode 100 and something. So you've heard me say it a thousand times, and I'm just going to say it again. OnTrackandField.com has what you need for everything track and field, including shoes. My wife just ran a marathon, did very, very well. We got shoes from On Track and Field, the Topo shoes. They were so cool for her. So go to OnTrackandField.com, and they can give you what you need, and you need to go there because... They have a lot of discounts right now, and uh, I'm not, you know, hint, hint, they're good discounts because track and field equipment is very expensive, and so are the shoes, but on track and field has good discounts, and it's a family-run company. They're going to take care of you. With me today, I'm really excited about this because Hulkin Anderson has been coaching sprints for over 40 years, and he has this really cool balance between the knowledge of applied sprinting, but also the sports science, as well as technology. Coach Anderson has served as a national team coach for Swedish national track field, uh, track and field team, and personal coach of some of Sweden's most successful sprinters. Uh, Hulkin Anderson is, uh, I think you're still, in, I think you're still employed by the High Performance Center as a lecturer and senior advisor for the speed and strength conditioning. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you for joining me, Coach. I'm so glad you're on because I have a lot of questions for you. No, well, thanks for the opportunity. Can you, tell you, can you just tell you being in Southern California, we just got our first snowfall where I'm situated. So. Oh, wow. Well, I yeah. mean, there's a nine-hour difference between us. So you get to your sunny afternoon with some snow, and it is 6 a.m. where I'm at, and it's hot. I mean, it's already it's already got some, you know, we haven't hit snow yet or ever. <laughs> um, but, Coach, I want to talk to you just about two things. And it's the use of overspeed and even resisted training. So let's start with this. What and what, where have you seen in the 40 years of your, you know, vast experience? Where do you utilize like what part of the season and how much? I mean, when do you use any kind of resistance with any type of sprint training? When if, if you start with assistance, you know, I don't think it's uh, anything, it's not new, you know, I think. Uh, Sprinters have enjoyed the running with tailwinds since the beginning of days. You know that if you have a group of sprinters, you rarely see them on the on the backstretch. You know, doing sprints in, in against the wind. You know, so it seems to favor you know development of, of, of sprinting ability. Uh, you know, at time people have been trying to to sprint downhills, have been using bungee cords and etc. and etc. And you know, living in a Scandinavian climate you know we don't have access to to you know tailwind the majority of the year we, we move in in end of november and we, we move out you know in in end of april you know so we, we do spend a lot of time indoors and uh, when i was a sprinter myself you know we used uh, uh, a system called speedy system from switzerland it was a lever system you had a coach pulling uh, you know we tried to you know, run the slight uh, downhill and we use bungee cord and et cetera. But I've always found it was very hard to uh, to really monitor what you were doing. And of course, you could, you know, you could put up your photo cells and, and so on, you know, but you really didn't really have any control about what you're doing, you know. So in the 90s, we, you know, we started to develop various machines, both for resistance and assistance. I have a friend that's a really good mechanic. 
eventually, you know, we attached an encoder to, to the machine so we could measure the instant velocity running with or against resistance. Uh, we were pretty occupied, you know, with stride length and frequency at the time, you know, so we, you know, either, you know, run on long paper rolls or use uh, chalk uh, under the shoes, you know, so you couldn't control the, you know, the, you know, the frequency and the stride length, you know. Uh, what can I say about it? I think most people, when they try assisted sprinting, they go overboard. They they told people that uh, you know with too much force, and that make them break. In you know when when they, when they strike the ground, they they break and they produce a lot of vertical force, so they fly longer through the air. So they increase the stride length, you know, but they also can alter the mechanics if you pull them too high, you know. So you know, had at the time, you know, had a lot of uh, influence and contact with a group of scientists in in Finland that was doing a lot of nice research on assisted sprinting and they came to the conclusion that like optimal towing force you know for for sprinters is just around two to three kilogram you know it's it's not very moderate and there's come some some papers out of, of Japan in recent years too suggesting the same thing you know and what does two to three percent mean? If you take a sprinter, I've been a sprint coach for 40 years. I'm yet to see a sprinter that can, can reach my, you know, his uh, competition velocity in training. Uh, they usually can hit uh, 97 to 98% of the maximum velocity. Uh, so, you know, with a little bit of assistance, they can reach uh, almost competition speed in a training situation, you know. But you don't, you know, you, you can also use, you know, you know, assisted sprinting just to, to run more relaxed at a fast pace, you lose, you use uh, less energy. You can use, uh, you know, at the, at the initial part of acceleration, you can tow a little bit more. So when they, you need a lot of torque, you can pull them more. So they, you need less distance for acceleration. And uh, there's many ways, but you know, you, it's a, like a double edged sword. It can be really effective if you use it properly, but it can really, really screw you up if you don't do it properly either, you know. So I suggest if you're going to do assisted sprinting, you got to control some kinematics of interest, you know. And we, with modern technology now, you know, we, we, we have that possibility, you know, we can, you know, IMU sensors connected to the DynaSpeed system we use, you know, we can. You can control the contact and contact time and frequency, the contact length and flight length, and so on. You know every individual step, so we can see, really see what is going on from step to step. But uh, it's also you need the eye of a coach, you know. So, so all these uh, you know kinematics, all these metrics are, are you know, they are nice, you know. But uh, you also need to have a communication with with athlete and and. Uh, and you, you, I mean, you got to, you know, evaluate, uh, you know, what what you do, you know. Well, I've always we I utilize a towing machine, which is actually not a machine at all. It's a pulley system. Whereas, yeah. like you mentioned earlier, I hook a, you know, a pulley up to myself and to the athlete fifty meters down, and then I give them a slight pull while I'm running, and it gives them an opportunity to run almost one hundred and twenty meters before, you know, they're they're done running. Um, yeah. with a little bit of a, a, like a, a assistance. Well, now my question is, when do I do that? I mean, I can control the variables by being the coach and not pulling too hard and not doing too much over speed, but I typically like, all right, well, we got six weeks 
out from that championship race, the one that matters the most is a high school, you know, best race. When do you utilize any type of overspeed? Can I do this all the time, off season, in season, kind of pepper it in all the time? Or am I looking at a particular time when I should be utilizing overspeed? First of all, I, I honestly think it's only for more advanced athletes. You know, it's not something I would recommend for high school athletes or even younger, or even team sport athletes. You know, to to pull at a faster time. You know, anyone can run at world record pace if you just pull them hard enough. Huh? <laughs> but but uh, it's really going to screw up their mechanics. So yeah, I mean you. You have to be, you know, you have to, that's, that's the problem, I think, with, you know, you being a coach towing at is you don't really see what's going on behind you. And um, uh, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. And but we, we, we do use it, you know, in special preparation period, you know, maybe run a little bit faster with assistance, you know, but not super maximum. But uh, usually when we do it, it's usually in a, in a more of a taper situation. So now we are talking about, you know, maximum velocity, you know, that is uh, that is uh, the most uh, important thing in 100 meter sprinting, you know, but we also use it in acceleration, you know, and we use it also in combination with resisted accelerations, which I find is uh, can be very useful, you know, like a contrast uh, method, you know, do assistance, uh, you do a resistance, do assistance, you do normal and you rotate like that. It's like a co contrast uh, way of doing things, you know, so. Well, I found, I have found just the contrast training is really cool for any type of, you know, like the kids are pulling a sled. It's not very heavy. There's yeah. 10 to 10 pounds, 15 pounds for the girls, maybe 15, 20 pounds for the boys. And it's, you know, they, they run a rep, they come back, you know, whatever the recovery is, do another one. And then it's not weighted. And you can see the the difference with that contrast training that's something you you found a lot of success in. Yeah, you know, if you if you branch out to resist the sprinting, you know, it's another thing. You know, people have been doing it from from day one. You know, and and uh, when I was a sprinter myself, you know, we used to do hill runs in the in the fall, but you know, since we get snow so early, you know, we had to we had to find other means and methods. You know, so at the beginning we were using sleds, but I found myself, you know, when I was doing that that. It was disturbing my rhythm, you know, uh, because uh, you're working against the friction on the ground. And if you, I've done this re now, re you know, recent years, you know, like I have the opportunity now to attach a, a you know, a wireless load cell to the sled. And if you take a sled that weighs maybe 40 kilos, uh, you're going to see the forces oscillating between 70 and zero in every step. So that's what probably are you feeling when 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 you're using sled that the force is not stable, it's oscillating a lot. But it also depends a lot on the friction on the surface, of course. So the load and the friction make makes the, the, the big difference. Well, you're so saying in the nineties, you know, we, we started to use machines too for that. Mm -hmm. You know, we designed machines, you know, mechanical machines so that we could control the resistance. You know. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can say that we, we, we use uh, resistive sprinting also as a technical mean, you know, that you, if you, if you, if you use a very heavy resistance for us, you know, if we load the, the dyna speed with 30% of body mass, it's like 60% approximately with a sled. You're going to resist the sprinter down to maybe six meters per second, and that's equivalent to his second step. 
So he's going to, you know, if you resist them so much, they're going to stay in the same position as the second step. I mean, you can do that for 20, 30 meters. So it's working with, with technique against resistance. So for me, I don't really care so much about, you know, the power output and power and all these numbers. I, I want to see the position. I want to see the technique because that's what, uh, what why I use the resistor sprinting mainly for as a technical object. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I think you're coming back to the same kind of thing, no matter what you do with overspeed or resistance. If the mechanics are breaking down and they're not right, then it's not useful. I mean, exactly. Is, yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and I, I mean, some people like to go super heavy, you know, with the sleds. They, they push prowlers and stuff, you know, at very, very slow velocity. And, uh, you know, my, my take is why don't they go into the gym, you know, because this is not specific to anything on the track anyway, you know. So better go in and lift weights, you know, rather than to to push all these heavy objects with very poor positions, you know, that uh, that doesn't make any sense to me at least. Well, I'm glad you said that because I'm constantly going back and forth because you see people, very successful coaches, put a lot of weight on that prowler and they're trying to push those things into position. Whereas I see some coaches that are very, very good say, no, 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 we're doing 10% max of the body mass of an athlete and we'll pull sled 30 meters, but never farther than that. And so I guess there's lots of schools of thought on this. Yeah, 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 there's many ways, ways to roam. And there's one thing I learned, you know, during the, my 40 years, you know, you, you learn by experience. You know, I I learned about uh, doing mistakes, of course, you know, but one thing, you I mean, you got to be humble, you know. I'm still, every year I become more and more uncertain what is best practice. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. If you're saying these things, then we have no chance. <laughs> because, I mean, you see people doing various things. So, but I, I think it's, Sports in general are very under, you know, we think, you know, we are on the peak of evolution. You know? We are doing, we have been doing professional sports for 50 years. I mean, the Greeks, they did a professional sports for 1000 years. Huh? They had professional athletes, professional coaches. They were so important. They even took, uh, you know, they took breaks in war when there was going to be the Olympic Games. So in 1000 years of empirical, you know, you know, experience, you can learn a lot. I think there's a, still a lot to learn before we say that any or athletes are hitting the genetic peak. You know, we, there's still so much more to develop. You know, and I think you know, I think in in that way, you know, modern days is now is great because there's so many more people you can exchange ideas with. You know, when when I was a young coach, we didn't have any access, you know, to to foreign coaches or you know. You know, books, etc. You know, no, it's uh, you know, yes, all these you know, podcasts, the clinics everywhere. You know, it's uh, I think it's great, and it's a lot of people that are very willing and and willing to share their ideas and thoughts. You know, so I think we're living in interesting times. Well, let me ask you a question, just because this every single year I coach, as confident as I am, I become very unconfident. Right when we get down to the championship phase, like where I'm really trying to get the athlete at their peak performance. I'm trying to get them to taper. I'm trying to get them happy, healthy, and running their very best. Well, how do you do that with sprinters? How do you get them to the world championships, the Olympic games, where that is the only race that matters? How, as a, as a sprint coach, that's kind of gr- like making this entire um 
I don't know, system or you're looking at the whole thing. And I know it's, it's a weighted question, but what does a taper look like for a sprinter? Are you just trying to get them four weeks out, six weeks out, three weeks out, 10 days out to do particular things? What have you found in the 40 years of coaching to be really successful? Well, well, I think, you know, first of all, we have to understand that people are different, you know. Uh, they respond differently. They respond differently to the same stimuli. Uh, you know, male, female might respond differently. There are different types of sprinters. They're more muscular bound, very explosive, heavy side, and there are the, the weak bit, the light types. Uh, and... They they probably they have to pick differently, and there's no other way of doing it. And there's no no silver bullet, I think, when it comes to peaking, you know. But I think if you have one general advice, is I think most most people do overdo it. They train too much. Uh, I don't think anyone is coming into Olympic game, you know, or World Championships are under trained, you know. And it's also you know don't forget about it. The mental side of it, you know, everyone who comes into a championship, they're great talent, they're well prepared, you know, but who wins with five hundredths of a second? There, there is, there has nothing to do with how much you squat or, you know, what you were doing training is some, some other things, you know, there's a mental side of it that they, we sometimes tend to neglect, you know, we, we bring the psychiatrist in when, <laughs> when it's too late, you know, I think you, I think, you know, communication, uh, with the athlete, having a good relationship with the athlete, it's uh, is the key, you know. Uh, I mean, you you're sitting in 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 your in your office, you know, producing training programs, you know, two or three weeks ahead, you know. About what kind of athlete do you have in front of you in three weeks? What has happened, you know? Have they had they been unable to pay their bills, or have they broken up with a boy or girlfriend, or <laughs> uh, you know, they have a nagging injury, or you know, communication? I think is the key. You know, every day, you know, every day you have to communicate, and that is the thing that we, I think, it pays off the most to develop as a coach. I um, you can know everything about uh, you know physiology, you know, but uh, you got to know uh, you got to be interested in humans, you know, you got to be communicate well with them, you know, and be responsive, you know, how they react to different training and so on. So I think that's uh, key when it comes to tapering as well. Well, well said. Um, I was, I was wishing you would just tell me, just do this. Like a doctor would say, take two of these and call me in the morning and that's it. You're good. But it's a little more complicated than that. I would have done that maybe 35 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You I, learned, I, learned, I learned the hard way. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, Coach, I can't thank you enough. I just wanted to talk about some of these things. And you affirmed and challenged, I think, the audience and myself just in some of these ideas because we wish there was just one way. We wish there was something that you could do and you'd be successful, but yet – you're telling us that no, 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 it's, you got to look at the athlete. You have to look at the type of athlete. How do they train mentally? How do they handle some of this? And then at the end of the day, when they get to that, that starting line, they didn't just be prepared. And that means they're not hurt and they're not unhappy and they just have a chance. I think you got it. <laughs> well, coach, how can we follow more? I know you've written a couple things for simply faster, which I have also written and that's actually how i found you um besides your twitter account you're very man you coach you do a great job uh promoting and pushing things out um on social media but where else 
please tell our audience where we can find more about what, what you've learned and how we can continue to gather information and knowledge from you. Uh, when, it, when it comes to, you know, in, in the English language, you know, I think uh, social media is the, the way to go. You know, I've, I've written some stuff in Swedish and I'm constantly doing some some education and stuff, you know, but when it comes to the English language, I think uh, maybe, or, or they can contact me or, or, you know, with personal messages or over Twitter or Instagram if there are some specific questions. I'm, I'm more than happy to try to answer if I can. Well, I'll definitely, when we, we broadcast this podcast, I will put all your social media out there. Um, as a coach, I can't thank you enough. You're making me better and my my athletes are benefiting from it. And so thank you, coach. Um, so yeah, this this podcast is brought to you by OnTrackAndField.com as well as powered by RelayBatons.com. They share the same CEO. So stick around. You can listen to him. His name's Steve and he's got a immaculate voice and he'll tell you how to get in contact with them on social media. Um, but coach, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Steve, take us away. Thanks for joining us on this week's On Track and Field podcast with guest Coach Hogan Anderson. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com. Custom engraved, meat and competition legal relay batons, water bottles and tumblers. Great for team branding, fundraisers, meet awards and coaches gifts. And by OnTrackAndField.com. Cross country and tracks one-stop source for everything you need for a successful season. Competition gear, spikes, training equipment, and shoes. On Track and Field.com has everything you need, including our new pull vault and high jump landing systems designed by jumpers for jumpers. Check them out online or give us a call for a free quote. And make sure to check out our new website, OnTrackRunning.com, your new source for competition and training shoes featuring Saucony, Brooks, OnRunning, New Balance, Asics, and Hoka shoes and spikes. OnTrackRunning.com. And make sure to follow us on our socials at OnTrack, the letter N, Field, at OnTrack and Field on Twitter and the gram.